Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Great to see you guys. Wow. The sun's out. Summer in San Diego. What a concept. (laughs) Yeah. We had some friends visiting from uh, London, and uh, they had no complaints about the June gloom. (laughs) Felt right at home. (laughs) I opened the bulletin yesterday, and I saw a bulletin full of donuts and hot dogs. (laughs) And I looked at the people in the room, I said, I want to go to this church. Any church that has pictures of donuts, even though I try not to eat them, you know, just, it's just very, very cool. So I'm wondering what we'll have pictures of next week. Well, we are completing our series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the promise. And um, today, our fourth message in this four-week message, and it's appropriate that we do it today because it is Pentecost Sunday. Wow. I mean, we are not normally a liturgical church that lines up with the uh, church calendar. I wouldn't even know how to do that, but uh, uh, we did it, and uh, here we are on Pentecost Sunday studying the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, the way Pentecost uh, Sunday is celebrated, in, it's, you know, I don't know, three, four hundred A.D., uh, some church fathers decided this would be cool to, to do this, and uh, it was determined that it would be uh, seven weeks after the second day of Passover. Now, the church fathers didn't do that, but... The, the Jews celebrated Pentecost. They didn't call it Pentecost. That's a Greek term. They, they call it Shavuot. And it's uh, 50 days after the second day of Passover. So on Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Aren't you glad? And I'll explain why that's important to you and me and should be important uh, to you and me. But this is how it went down. So Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. Most Christians are not aware of that. They, they, when I say that, really? Yeah, it's actually in the Bible. Yeah, you'll see it this morning. I'm not just uh, tabloid news here. This is actually in the Bible. So... For 40 days, he was still on planet Earth. Uh, He had not yet ascended, appearing and then not appearing, appearing and then not appearing to various crowds. Paul tells us at one time, in front of 500 people at one time, now an attorney looking for witnesses uh, to corroborate an event happened, that's pretty sizable. Either that or it was Jim Jones, they all drank the same Kool-Aid, and hallucinated together. So uh, finally, on the 40th day, Jesus takes them to Mount Olives and he tells them that the Holy Spirit is gonna come. And after that, 
he ascends into heaven. He's told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. They don't know when the Holy Spirit is coming. One day, two days, three days, they're praying, they're up in the upper room. Four days, five days, six days. Finally, on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit comes and it's on Shavuot. It's on Pentecost Day. And the significance of that is so powerful. I'll tell you later. (laughs) But I want you to think about why God chose to use that day. So let me do this. Let me read the text to you from Acts chapter 2 and pray, and then we'll dive right in. So it says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So there's two questions that have come forth so far. How is it that these men from Galilee can speak these languages? That's question number one. And question number two is, what does this mean? What's the meaning behind this great miracle? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine, which tells me there was some kind of frivolity going on. And I would imagine if you began to speak in Italian or you began uh, to speak in some other language that you've never learned and you feel the muscles in your mouth and your tongue kind of uh, being used in ways you've never used them before and you hear these sounds coming out of your mouth, you probably probably would begin to giggle uh, a little bit as this phenomenon is happening. So Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. So this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. You notice dreams and visions are very similar, uh, only 
the young men are still awake and the old men are sleeping. <laughs> Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days they will prophesy. Jumping to verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amazing. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for this day of Pentecost. Thank you for all that you have done in our lives by giving us the Holy Spirit. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring into our midst and into our minds and hearts that which the Father desires. We pray that you would take the words that are on the page and that you would apply them to our lives and that we would emerge from here filled with the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the power of the Holy Spirit, it's difficult for Westerners to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit. But I believe there's no way you can over-exaggerate our need for the Holy Spirit. It's all, no matter how much you think it's important, it's more important than you and I think. But as Westerners, it's difficult because the way we think, we're programmed to think this. We are hopelessly programmed to think this way. And it is this, idea, action. Read a book, that's a great idea, underline it, underscore, I'm gonna do that, good idea. And we just think that way. Idea, action, idea, action. What the Bible says is idea, power, action. How do you know that you have the power to do it? And a lot of times we don't. We have good intent. How many of you have ever started a diet? <laughs> that's a good idea. Action, well, what happened? Power. No power. No willpower. So the Bible tells us there's an ingredient that you and I need, and that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, when Jan and I were living in New England, uh, I realized that waves were not common in New England. And, uh, and I could drive two hours to the Cape or to Rhode Island to get a little bit of waves, but it was really not very good, and it was a lot of work. So I took up windsurfing. And, uh, you know, so I could windsurf out on the ocean and windsurf in lakes, which is always a little dicey because the winds are swirly on lakes. But it was swirly, not squirly. <laughs> and uh, so, but it was a fun exercise and something to do. So, at any rate, one day we had a church picnic out on a lake, and uh, my board was there, and one of the elders in the church, uh, his wife asked if she could take the board out for a sale. And I said, sure, it's harmless, go have a nice day. And so she takes it out, and maybe 45 minutes later, someone comes to me and says, uh, I don't remember her name, but she is stuck out on the lake. Uh, the wind died, it went just completely dead, and she was about a half mile out in the center of the lake. And everyone says, what to do? And I said, well, we, we go get her. And so uh, I, I dove into the water, swam out to the board, 
toward, told her to get, it was a large board, and I told her to get on the front of it, and I pulled up the boom, and I pretended that there was wind. And what you just simply do is you take the boom that has the sail attached to it, and you snap it back, and the board thinks that there's wind, and the board moves forward about four feet. So for the next hour, I was snapping the sail. She was sitting at the front, and we brought her back to shore, and everyone was safe and sound and so forth. That picture in your mind, pretending there's wind, <laughs> is sometimes how we live our lives. Now, there's a, there's a point where we have to learn to be disciplined whether I feel like the Holy Spirit's there or not. I, I, I study the word, I pray, I, I'm in fellowship with other Christians, acts of love, because that all primes the pump for the Holy Spirit. But you and I realize we need the power. We absolutely need the power. Now, here's the hitch. A lot of times, we get diverted when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit to what I would call the whoopies of the Holy Spirit. The exciting things that happen, which are, are fabulous. Visions, dreams, uh, speaking in tongues, prophecy, miracles, healings. And, and, you know, we all want all of that happening every moment of the day. It was awesome. Had four prophecies, ten healings. It was a good day, honey. How was your day? But the import of the power of the Holy Spirit is more important than that. If you said, why the visions, why the healings, why the other miracles, there's a higher purpose than that, and that is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is the reason why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the reason why you're still on planet Earth and not just celebrating up in heaven. So if you go back to chapter one, we find the reason that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a conversation that Jesus has on the 40th day, 10 days before Pentecost. It says in verse three of chapter one, after suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, there it is, over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. Remember what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is wherever the king reigns. It's not just a geographical zone. It, it's a realm, particularly a spiritual realm. It's wherever the king is having his will, his influence. If he's king, he should have his way because he's king. So does he have his way in your heart and life? Ooh. Well, if he does... That's part of the kingdom of God. And then through you, wherever you bring the influence of Jesus in your neighborhood, at work, friends, and so forth, not in the form of yada, 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 you're wrong and I'm right, let me judge you one more time, it's, that's not how we do it. We do it through love, we do it through uh, actions, and we do it through answering questions and having good, healthy dialogue about Jesus, but we bring the presence. But now watch what Jesus says. On one occasion, he was eating with them, and he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, 
but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they had an image in their mind. Some of them had been baptized by John the Baptist. Some of them had baptized other people uh, when they had now become disciples of Jesus. So when they hear the word baptism, they're picturing people getting all wet. You know, it's not like here where people uh, change and they get their swimsuits on because they don't want to get all wet. It, they would just go into the waters in modesty and, and get completely wet. Their clothes are wet, their hair is wet, the water's dripping off their beard. Uh, it's unfortunate when the women have water dripping off their beard, you know, it's just, it, it, they're just completely soaked and they come out of the water. So they hear Jesus use that same language to say, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed, all wet in the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, because now they're wondering, so what, what is going to happen next? They weren't expecting the cross, they weren't expecting the resurrection, and now they're not expecting this. And so they ask him the question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still obsessed with this physical Israel kingdom where Jesus is going to sit on the throne. They're going to be one of the 12 sitting around Jesus, the, you know, King Arthur and the, the, the knight of the round table. Is, is this the time that it's all going to happen? And Jesus' answer to them is key to you and I. He says, it is not for you to know. That is hard. But I wish every time someone through a sermon or a book predicts the date of the coming of Jesus would go back to the words of Jesus that says, it is not for you to know. Do you know what that is in the Greek? It is not for you to know. It's just what it means. And so many times we dance around. Yeah, but he said that he says something that's not for us to know the dates and the times, but he didn't say anything about the year. And he didn't say anything about, you know. But I, I think what he's doing here is more than that. He's not just simply saying, don't be sensationalist as Christians. Yeah, he's coming. By the way, I believe he's coming. I believe that we need to live our lives every day as if he's coming. But to go one step further and begin to predict when it's going to happen leans towards sensationalism. Jesus, on the other hand, he says, this is what you are to do. That's in the Father's authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That is to be our emphasis. God's role is to know when he's sending Jesus a second time. Sorry, job filled. <laughs> Your role is to be focused on the mission, right? You will be my testifiers. When he uses the word witness, it's the same word that you and I use in the court system. We change the word as Christians. 
There's no other people on planet Earth that use the word witnessing. Witnessing is a Christianese word. What are you doing today? I'm witnessing. Um, But it's testifying to the accuracy and the truth of what's in the word and what God has done in your life. You are a witness, like in a court, testifying about the veracity, the truth of the word of God and all that he's done in your life. And by the way, may I say, your story is an important story to tell. There is no one that can say about your story that didn't happen. I was broken. Jesus forgave me. He came into my life and he changed my life in this way. No, he didn't. People are stunned. Why are they stunned? Because you're a witness. And a witness, an eyewitness of a crime is powerful. And the crime is a good crime that has happened to you. And so you tell your story. And so Jesus says we are to tell our story not only in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. So this is it, folks. We are to wait in Jerusalem, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and now we will be fortified to be his witnesses. Apparently, we can't fulfill the mission without the Holy Spirit. You're stuck on a lake without the wind. But you see, it's a big job, isn't it? It's a really big assignment. And think of what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit coming into you, like genie in the lamp. You know, there's this person. We're not talking about an it. We're not talking about energy, which is a popular word today. Oh, yeah, I feel the energy. We're talking about a person that you now will have an interpersonal relationship with coaching you from the inside out to fulfill this mission. Pretty incredible. In fact, may I go one step further while I'm excited? Um, God forever has wanted this to be inside you. Think of it. You were made in his image. When we read that in, in these in the ancient text of Genesis 1.26, we're not sure. So how does that happen? And of course, the fall occurs, and then God begins to move through salvation history. First, to gather the 12 tribes of Israel, take them out into the desert, and establish a tabernacle in the midst of the 12 tribes, three on each side. And God is in their midst. Then you have the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, where God actually puts on skin and walks among us, declaring us to us the nature of God the Father, both through word and action, God in our midst. John says he tabernacled among us. But now this is one step further beyond this where God actually 
steps into your skin to live inside you and you become the temple of God. That's what Stephen got stoned for, you know, when he was preaching because he was talking about this new day where it's not just that temple, we are the temple of God and it's God's desire to live inside you. So I'll tell you more of what that fulfills on Pentecost in a moment. But let's go on to chapter two and, and to see what happens as this transcendent power now comes upon the people. And I use the word transcendent because I think as I read the text, it's very apparent that something is happening beyond our control. This is not something we could invent, what God is doing here. Uh, he's coming like a new creation, just like in the text in Genesis where the spirit hovers over the, the deep. God now is, is moving again. Another wind is blowing, and it's, it's upon you and me. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is the very room that Jesus had the Last Supper in with the disciples. It's the upper room. It's the very room that had the door locked on the day of the resurrection, and Jesus comes walking in. Thomas isn't there, and he presents himself to the disciples. And then a week later, to doubting, it's the very room. And so they're still up there in the upper room. They're praying. Jesus said 10 days ago, the Holy Spirit is coming. Don't go on mission until you have the Holy Spirit. So they're praying and they're praying. But they don't know what to expect. How's he going to do this? What's going to happen? No clue. And they begin to hear a rushing wind. Suddenly, a sound. They hear the sound first like a blowing, mighty wind. I use the word mighty because I think violent is an unfortunate translation. No offense, NIV translators. <laughs> but the Greek is literally mighty or powerful. In our culture, and that's the challenge of a translator, is to not only know what the Greek says in the ancient world, but what does it mean to the moderner? And violence, to me and our culture, means unsafe and destruction, or at least potential. If you said, hey, Mark, come over. We're going to have a get-together. I want you to meet a friend. He's a violent friend. <laughs> I, I say, no, thank you. I'm not into violent acquaintances. <laughs> and I think it's important to bring this out because many people feel unsafe about the Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? I don't know. Is he going to possess me? You know, and, 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 so and I think we need to clear that he is safe, that he, he's a gentleman. He, and so the translation is it's a rushing, mighty wind, a mighty, rushing wind. It's a Santa Ana. The Santa Ana is blowing. And so they're in the upper room. This, this wind just begins to blow in their midst. And I'm guessing they begin to ask the question, where is this wind coming from? Right? I would. 
And that probably explains why we start out in the upper room and we end up in the streets. Because Peter ends up preaching to thousands, tens of thousands of people, three of which come to Christ. So where are they? They're all crammed up in the upper room. Somewhere there's a transition, and I'm guessing they either the wind blows the door open or they open the door to see where the wind is coming from. And they make this migration down into the streets. But the other thing that happens is it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Bizarre. Tongues of fire that seemed to be uh, gathered in, in, in one part of the room, and then they peel off, they separate. And there's no point in talking about the, the, them separating if they weren't originally together. So the tongues of fire, you've been near the fire in your, your house or on a camping trip where you see uh, flame coming out, and the flame separates into a couple of different uh, directions, but it all comes from the same. That's what a tongue of fire is. So they separate, and everybody gets a tongue of fire. over. Now, if that happened here this morning, uh, people would say, I knew they were a cult. <laughs> you know, it'd be written up in the newspaper, yep, cults, they all drink the same fire Kool-Aid, and they, you know, this, this all happened. So it's definitely bizarre. Why would God do this? What is the meaning of this symbol? And I don't think we have to look too far. Remember, this is Shavuot, uh, the celebration of the giving of the law. Where was the law given? Mount Sinai, uh, where God would descend to meet with Moses to give him the law, and it would be a cloud and fire. The symbol of fire throughout scripture often is holiness. Ah, of course, Jesus promised that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, we leave out the word holy. We substitute the cool spirit, the fantastic, feels really good spirit. Uh, We forget that he's the ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-holy spirit who comes to make you holy. So you want the Holy Spirit. Hmm. (laughs) Do you want to be holified? That's my word. (laughs) You won't find it in Wikipedia, but if we use it enough, it will become a part of the English language. Sanctified just sounds too archaic and religious. Transformed can sound cool, but it it sounds a little bit uh, self-help, you know. But holify, that he comes to make you holy, to set you apart, as the original word means, for God and for God to have his will in your life. Whoa! To be baptized in God, who's now going to have his will in your life. So that's the symbol of the Holy Spirit, the refiner's fire. 
Then as we read on, there's something else that happens. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I'll talk about tongues in a moment, but I purposely put that off because the church loves to obsess on tongues. I, I can't tell you. I've been, I mean, I've been a Christian half a century. And that I, if, if I, you know, I would have to get rid of three shelves in my, my office to just get rid of all the books on tongues alone. Uh, the church has been divided and united and attitudes and I'm right and you're right. And so if we could just put that off to the most important thing that's emphatic in the text and that is filled. That's the word, filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's a word that's used throughout Scripture. So we've had baptized. You will be baptized in the fact that the fulfillment of Jesus' promise, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, is fulfilled now by using the word filled with the Holy Spirit tells us that at least for Luke, the words are interchangeable. I think there's a lot of words that are interchangeable today in order for you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've tell, told people, uh, it's, you can be refreshed in the Spirit. Uh, God can renew you in the Spirit. Um, and Because people will say, well, I don't want to be filled. I don't know what that means. I say, how about a little more of Jesus? They say, yeah, I'll go for that. Uh, language is just difficult because of histories and stereotypes because of language. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In this ancient language, that brings up the image of a pitcher being filled up with liquid. The word is used of Mary when Mary barges into the room and, you know, the beautiful, poignant uh, story near the end of Jesus' ministry in Lazarus' home uh, where she anoints Jesus with this nard, this very strong perfume, and it says the whole, not the room, the whole house was filled with the fragrance. So what if you were filled with the fragrance of God? You know, it's just, they just smell a lot like God. You know, they, they just, when you're around them, you feel that something wonderful, something loving, something very honest and truthful is, is, is in them. Well, that's what is happening here. They're filled, it says, with the Holy Spirit. Moreover, if you follow this word through the New Testament, you find it, uh, plerao is the word, you find it being used again in Ephesians 5, where Paul now says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the linear sense, it would read, be being filled, or continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the uniqueness of that is the command is to you. It's Jesus that gives us his spirit, but he's already committed. The command is to you and me to be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. It's like God has a spigot and you and I have a spigot. Uh, He's got his open full blast. And I have mine turned down. Because if I open up my spigot like 100%, like no telling what would happen. You know, he'd probably put me on the keto diet. I don't know what he, what he might do in my life. He might tell me, you know, my funds need to go here. I need to love my wife this way. He might do this. And isn't that the point? That the will of God begins to happen in my life. So we turn it down. And we do things, and this is the Western world, but we do things like, Pastor, just want to check, did I get the Holy Spirit when I became a Christian? Yep, you got the Holy Good. Check. Or, if you come from a Pentecostal charismatic background, did I get the power of the Holy Spirit in the second blessing? Yes, you did. Check. But the question is, what are you doing today, little buddy? Well, I got it turned down. <laughs> Just so that, I mean, I, I look enough like I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and I read a little bit, and I little do a little, but I got it kind of turned down just to keep the ownership and the control right where we want it. But what happens when we open up the spigot? And that's what Paul says, to be being filled, meaning I can somehow do something. And he goes on in Ephesians 5 to say how you might open up the spigot. Speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual. So apparently worship and praise does something to open up the spigot. Psalms and spiritual songs is talking about the word of God. Something about the word of God that opens up the spigot. Something about being together, doing it not just alone, but to each other, opens up the spigot. And we'll see more of this. So it's an important thing. You and I were made to be full of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's hard, as I said, for Westerners, because we think idea, action, idea, action. And we don't think of a person as being a vessel that contains things. But we do use the language a bit. I've had people tell me I'm full of it. (laughs) I've had people tell me I'm full of myself. So we apparently do use that container language still. But I think it's helpful for we Westerners to take a lesson from people that are largely south of the equator Australia excluded. Sorry, Nick. And, um, or to go back in time or to go eastward, to think of a human being as a porous container. That you are porous. You absorb ideas. You absorb food, liquid, uh, You're influenced, in other words, by a lot of different things that come your way. And the idea that you're just this island, I did it my way, I'm Davy Crockett, I'm Daniel Boone, I'm Han Solo, nothing influences me, is just a bunch of bunk. Even that idea was influencing you. 
So we're influenced constantly. And what would it be rather to be ultra-influenced by God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit being refueled? If I uh, put a glove on right now, I have uh, funny little hands, short fingers and a fat little hand. And I I learned that when I was trying to play piano. It just uh, didn't work real well. But if I took a glove and I put my, my hand in the glove and you see the base of my hand disappear and I ask you, is my hand in the glove? You'd say, yep, I can't see the base of your hand. Your hand is in the glove. And then I say, well, then why are, are the fingers flapping? You would say to me, it's because your fingers aren't all the way in the fingers of the glove. And I say, how so? And you would show me. Well, you've got to push this pinky, and then you've got to push this finger and this finger to get the whole thing in the glove. I said, but I thought you said my hand was in the glove. Well, technically, it is in the glove, but the glove is useless until you put your fingers in the glove. And people say to me all the time, well, I thought you said I have the Holy Spirit. Well, technically, you do. (laughs) But he's not doing much in your life, little buddy. We want to be filled regularly with it. Does that illustration help? I think it ends the conflict of, well, did I get there? Do I have the Holy Spirit? What language do we use? We're fighting over something that doesn't matter once we're two days later. Are you filled today? And then a week later, but are you filled? Yeah, but I got the, I put my hand in the glove a week ago. Well, I put my hand in the glove when I had a second blessing. But what are you doing today with the glove? So we read on here, and what's important to see connecting chapters one and two is that all of these people from different parts of the world, uh, it says God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. I don't think there were probably anyone from Chile. Uh, They're not mentioned, but it's, so it's a euphemism to give the idea that it's a sizable group from a large part of the world because that's the purpose of the sending of the Spirit, to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Got it? So they all begin to hear uh, everyone speaking in a language that they know. And what they're hearing is praise. They're declaring the, the works of God, the glory of God, and they ask, what does this mean? And they accuse the disciples of having too much wine, and then uh, Peter stands up and clarifies. So let's take a moment to talk about these other languages. What was happening? Why would God do this? And I, I'm not God, so I'm not going to speak for God, although I guess I do that for a living. Um, <laughs> But I do find some things interesting. One is the fact that the language, which is so unique to humans, how we have this part of the brain that from infancy wants to begin to speak. 
and, and communicate. And somewhere between 10 months and three years, you know, a child begins to speak. It's, it's in, but the, the, that is largely one of the control centers of the brain. It's, it's what I, how I express myself, what I want to do, what I don't want to do, and so forth and so on. And in this instant, God bypasses the control center, and they're just praising God. I, I read this, and I say, Mark, why is it so hard for you to praise God? You know, I come into church here and say, well, that's not my favorite song. I'm not going to worship that one, you know. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't really know the second verse. I don't, you know, I'm not going to sing that. And, and uh, I wish they had more of this or whatever. Just sing the song. Just sing the song. Uh, well, in this instance, they're just singing the song. It bypasses their decision, their control, all of that, and just says, just sing the song. And so they're speaking praise unto God. And that's the advantage of speaking in tongues. I don't think it's given for everybody. Some people interpret it that way. Uh, but I think Paul asked the question, and, and it's not just for a house church. It's a rhetorical question that's given for the church, and that is, do all speak in tongues? And the answer, rhetorical answer, is no. Not all teach, not all administrate. We have various gifts, but many people do speak in tongues. But here's the sad thing. Many people who have the gift of tongues don't speak in tongues. Paul says, if you have the gift, you do praise God well. But when you're with other people, I'm in 1 Corinthians 14, if you're with other people, uh, speak in a known language, because they, they don't know what in tarnation you're saying. But he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. When did you do that, Paul? When I'm by myself. Because he says, also in 1 Corinthians, it edifies his spirit. Praise, whether in English or in tongues, it builds us up because now we're not declaring what we like, what we don't like, what we criticize, what we don't like, what we judge, what we don't judge. We're just telling God, you're amazing. And if I can do it in a language that bypasses my opinion, uh, all the better. So that's apparently what was happening here. Do I believe that, that tongues are given for the purpose of evangelism? There's a small percentage of the church that teaches that. And I would say, absolutely not. I do not think what they were doing here was speaking, uh, praising to God, because tongues are not horizontal. They're vertical to God, praising God. And if someone hears that, that happens to speak that language, great. That's what happens here. But normally, uh, if you're in another country and you just go out willy-nilly and say, well, this way I don't have to learn the language. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to start talking and trust God's going to speak to me through. The, you know, that is, is not the purpose of tongues because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says they're going to think you're out of your mind, that you're a lunatic. So... It's this beautiful gift. You don't have to have it. You may have it sometimes. And if God is impressing you that you need it, great. But don't obsess over it because the bigger thing is two things. The one is that you're filled with the Spirit. And secondly, that you now begin to, what would be the ultimate fruit 
What would be the ultimate sign that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Love. Paul says that clearly, 1 Corinthians 13, sandwiched between two chapters about the gifts of the Spirit, 12 and 14. If, if I do all these things but have not love, I'm a clanging gong. So uh, it's the sign of the Holy Spirit, and, and you see that at the end of chapter 2 as they begin to care for one another and sell their goods and, and express uh, that kind of compassion towards the needs of each other. So this is the, the power that you and I need to live the Christian life. And whether you're living a very small footprint and influence only a few people, or you have a very large foot that has a large influence, we all need the power of the Holy Spirit. But we forget, don't we? We leak. We go off and just live our lives like any other humanoid. And we check the box, got Jesus, all right. And we sometimes leave church, right? Say, oh, that was so good. I got so filled up. And someone goes to hug you and say, well, don't hug me because this got to last me till next week. <laughs> we need to be being filled with the Spirit. A month ago, Jan and I were out at La Quinta. Uh, Jeff Frank had asked us to speak to a pastor's small pastors and spouses gathering uh, on marriage. So it was a very unique group, a very unique topic of how do pastors and pastors' spouses uh, handle marriage in the midst of a congregation. It was a fun thing. To, so I, I was thinking all about this, and we, we got in the car, and, and we drove off, and we like to go over the mountain. It's just more scenic than to drive uh, 90 miles an hour around on the freeway to come out to Palm Desert and then La Quinta. And as we were leaving Temecula, I happened to look down to, at the gas gauge and I saw that it was a bit below uh, a quarter of a tank. And any wise person would have turned around. And, uh, <laughs> but not being wise, I... Uh, I said, you know, I think we're good. Uh, <laughs> and we were. But I, I said as we were going, I said, we have about an hour and a half to go. And uh, so I think we can get there. But uh, just remind me to get some gas when we get to Palm Desert. So we had this wonderful conference and, and started Monday, drove back on Wednesday. And uh, Wednesday evening, Jan asked if I'd run out and get something. I ran out, hopped in the car, and I looked at the gas gauge. And it was like a quarter of an inch below empty. And I thought, I've never seen it that low. <laughs> you know, I thought the gauges kind of stopped around just below, but it just was. And so I went back into the house. I said, Jan, did we not get gas in Palm Desert? And she thought, and I said, we didn't. And I said to her, this, this is impossible. You cannot, it, it was a great thing that we got there driving in an hour and a half on less than a quarter of a tank, but you cannot drive, add two and a half more hours onto that, so now we're four hours on below a quarter of a tank. You cannot do that. 
I said, this might be the only miracle I've ever experienced. <laughs> you know, everybody has these great healings, and God just has looked out for Mr. Magoo. <laughs> so I drive over, fill up the tank, and it takes over 21 gallons. And I thought, oh, this might be a second miracle. <laughs> And I get out the manual, and it says it has a 20-gallon tank. I said, this is amazing. <laughs> and you're wondering, so what does that illustrate, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, it's you and me. We are running on empty. We are just saying, well, got by yesterday. There was no, nobody got killed. I still had my job. My wife didn't leave me. So why do this whole thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, I'm just, I'm getting by. You have it throttled down. You have the faucet turned down just enough to live on but that was not God's intent God's intent is that we would live a life that's fueled and refueled and refueled with the Holy Spirit not running on empty so the disciples out of this begin to have a transformed effect upon their lives because of the Holy Spirit I won't Didact all of the, the words that are here, but it, it just says that they devoted themselves now to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God, now to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And there's many more signs and wonders, including cars running on empty, that happen. And all the believers are together, and they, they now have so much love for each other that they're selling property to give to anyone who has need every day. They continue to meet together in the temple courts, which is worship, praise. All of these things begin to happen out of the filling of the Holy Spirit, but now they also are being refilled in the Holy Spirit as they're living this devoted life. And that's what I want to challenge you today. This morning, at the close of the service, I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who needs to be refueled in the Holy Spirit. You just say, hey, I am that guy that's running on empty. Uh, we want to pray for you. I've asked not only the prayer team to be ready, but our pastors and directors to be up here to be ready. Uh, because we just sometimes have a crisis, or maybe you say to me, Mark, I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've never, never, it's just always been this concept. Got the Holy Spirit, check. But I would love for someone to lay hands on me and pray for me. So we're gonna, but if you said to me, Mark, I'm not comfortable with that. Can I pray, pray in my water closet? Uh, that's other countries' influence on me, WC, right? Can I, can I go there? Of course you can. In, in the privacy, privacy of your own home. Uh, but I think that you get an A in this church when you say you need God. When you come forward and say, I need God, it's not like we're sitting back saying, whoa, what did they do now that they would be going forward? I thought they were a good Christian, you know? No, we're not that kind of church. We're the kind of church that says, 
the, we are desperado for God. And the more you need God, the better. And, and so if you need prayer at the end of the service, please come forward and, and get some prayer. So I told you the uniqueness of this day was Shavuot. And I told you, I'll come back to that. And I do that often and I never come back, do I? So this morning, I'm remembering to come back to that. So the celebration of Shavuot, Pentecost, for the Jews, two celebrations. One is the first harvest of the year. And then secondly, the giving of the Torah. When the Holy Spirit came, Shavuot was fulfilled. Now that the Spirit is here, harvest begins to happen, right? Nod your head if you're getting this. Hello. People are coming. That's what harvest is. And then secondly, Jeremiah said, when the Spirit comes, the new covenant will happen. He will write his law on your hearts. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. He comes into our lives, and he writes it there, and, and he begins to coach us from the inside and, and guide us from the inside. So Shavuot is fulfilled at Pentecost, and, and it was all orchestrated by Jesus. So you and I, we have a, a, an inheritance here that is just magnificent. And now he's asking all of us, because the mission is still out there. The harvest is still out there. We need to be fueled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray. (laughs) Father, as we come to you right now on Shavuot, on Pentecost Sunday, we cry out to you, not only for our church, not only for us individually, but for the church worldwide and particularly the church in America, that there would be a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Father, we are desperate for you. The land that we live in, there's a spiritual drought for the living God. And so we cry out to you that just as you filled the early disciples, that you would freshly fill us again. And that there would be a great awakening, a great harvest, even in our midst. Father, come and fill our tank. Refuel us, we pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that as you hover in our midst, as you did at creation and as you did at Pentecost, would you give to each one of us according to what we need, not only in giftings, but in guidance and direction and what we all need, which is your power. Come freshly and fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.